You're listening to HSBC Talks Business. Learn how businesses like yours are leveraging a wide range of banking solutions to maximize their success and how HSBC is helping them. Listeners should note that this episode has been recorded remotely, therefore the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Sarah Stockdale, and today I'm joined from Toronto by Todd Scheppelman, President and CEO of ABC Technologies, one of the world's leading automotive systems and components manufacturers. And from New York, Priyamvada Singh, Head of Product and Propositions, Global Trade and Receivables, Finance, North America for HSBC Bank USA. Thank you both so much for being here today. Our topic for today is recovery across the Americas, trade supply chains and new opportunities. USMCA entered into force last July, and the Biden administration has now been in office for more than 100 days, feels like longer. Layering into that is the additional challenges that we have been experiencing as we've navigated through COVID-19. And it's changed how we live and work and impacted how business is conducted. With supply chain disruption becoming more commonplace, many firms are reviewing and reshaping their supply chains to build resilience. According to our 2020 Navigator survey findings, companies view these disruptions as the biggest internal factors hindering their growth. More than nine in 10 have concerns related to their supply chain. These concerns are consistent across industries. In response, businesses are making changes to how they select suppliers and manage their supply chain. With two leading voices on the topic in North America joining us, let's get straight into the discussion. Priyamvada, welcome. As we know, COVID has affected many things, including supply chains and trade. This has persisted, especially considering the recent third wave outbreak in India. How have Americas managed through the crisis and throughout their supply chain in the region and globally? What the pandemic has done has led to a fundamental rethinking of the utility of offshore supply chains to some extent. And corporates across the region, and we'll be hearing from Todd soon as well, that if they haven't already, uh, they have been prioritizing holistic reviews of sourcing practices to better manage hotspots and vulnerabilities. And that's likely to accelerate trends in some level of reshoring to ensure business continuity. It may lead perhaps in the short term to more inventory being held in stockpile to keep production lines going, because we've seen other disruptions as well. For example, the Suez Canal blockade or now the shortage of shipping containers, rising freight rates and even cyber attacks like the ransomware incidents we've seen. So the risk assessments of these supply chains is understandably complex because the more global a supply chain, it's often been built on specialization and concentration in sourcing that can be hard to replicate or shift quickly. So we've seen corporates accelerating a diversification of their supplier base, which is an obvious step towards building more resilience. And it's likely to be accelerated because of events of the past year. Even today, actually, I think it's important to note the supply chain shortages that continue to exist in manufacturing lumber, chips, semiconductors, and that's slowing production from for everything from computers to home appliances and automobiles. So there have been greater investments in nearshoring production. So that's another strategy that companies are adopting. Now, it does remain debatable whether there'll be greater adoption of more regionalized models of supply. The question really is whether any sourcing strategy with onshore or offshore concentration could potentially offset benefits of uh, diversification. Mm -hmm. Lastly, I want to also, as you're aware, the U.S. government released in February of this year the executive order on America's supply chain. That was a 100-day plan to address the need for building more resilient, diverse and uh, secure supply chains. 
yesterday, the administration announced key findings from that report and actions to address the vulnerabilities. And that actually did include specifically four key supply chains, which was around critical medicines, advanced batteries, you know, critical minerals, and semiconductors. And those actions also include options such as building capacity domestically and working internationally with partners. Now, international expansion may well have some challenges where government policies in other countries become more trade restrictive to cope with domestic recovery on their own. Ultimately, though, what we believe has emerged more strongly is the recognition that companies prioritize supply chain resiliency. And terms like resiliency and transparency have become resoundingly popular. So we believe companies will continue to drive that deeper understanding of their supply chain to address precisely those vulnerabilities because the pandemic has brought these supply chain issues to the forefront. Yes, absolutely. And th thank you so much, Premvada. Um, I'd like to bring in Todd. As president and CEO of ABC Technologies, which manufactures auto parts in factories across Canada, the US, Mexico, as well as in Europe, South America, and parts of China, you've experienced firsthand the impacts over the last 12 months. What have those 12 months brought for the company? And do the comments shared by Priyambada reflect your reality? When COVID hit the, uh, the automotive space, there, there's really no playbook on how to react to this. So we, we really sprang into action and our, our first priority certainly was safety of our employees. So we created our own action plans on how to get back to work, how to operate safely, do social distancing in both plants and office environments. And then almost immediately we were contacted by both our customers and governments about pivoting to supply medical devices. And really within just a couple of weeks, we went from uh, full production of auto parts to complete shutdown to designing, building tools and assembly equipment so that we could produce uh, ventilator parts, face shields, and, and face masks so that we could uh, help in our, our support of the frontline workers and, and really society in general on this. Uh, back in the, the, so the May timeframe, June timeframe, we went back into uh, high volume automotive production and, and things were going pretty well. And then recently, uh, you know, we started hearing it was probably late November, early December about this uh, semiconductor shortage. And I don't think anybody really understood uh, what that was when we first started hearing about it. And certainly that has been uh, now an impact in the, the automotive space. But uh, for automotive, we really see that uh, you know, just that the semiconductors alone have the potential to impact up to uh, 1.5 million units just in North America of production. And uh, while that will be made up, it's certainly been pushed out. But there, there's also steel, resin, rubber, foam, and many other materials that have been impacted during this. Uh, there was a, a recent uh, article that was published by Alex Partners and talking about just the, the, the raw material baskets uh, within an auto uh, uh, within a car, and uh, year over year, those the raw materials increased uh, over ninety percent uh, to about thirty six hundred dollars from nineteen hundred dollars. That's a huge change. And while steel was you know the major driver of that, our natural our our main input is is plastics into my business, and and plastics uh, had gone up over one hundred and fifty percent year over year. So while we can mitigate some of these, and and really the industry can mitigate some of these through. You know, hedging strategies or direct buy programs, material adjustments or regular commercial negotiations, it's, it's really difficult for the supply gate base to really mitigate the, the whole thing. You know, while leaders and, and, and people in, in the business can't really choose the time frame at which they lead, they can certainly choose how they lead. And so I think I'm you know, very proud of the whole team on, on what we've done. And How have you built more resilience into your supply chain kind of through this? We've really been driving more visibility uh, back into our, our supply chain, both the tier two suppliers and the tier three suppliers. And initially it was really driven by, you know, COVID protocols, making sure that they could operate 
but more recently it's been around financial health. Uh, do they have enough labor availability? What's their supply chains like? So we've been spending a lot more time on that for sure. Uh, we're also carrying more inventory cost uh, of our, our primary uh, raw material and, and purchase component inputs. And a lot of that's based on availability, but there's also been a, a tremendous issue with shipping, uh, particularly overseas. Uh, we, we've got that we had to lengthen our anticipated uh, booking uh, dates as well as transit times across the ocean. There's been port congestion that's been caused by COVID and, and ships backing up that, that basically doubled the time for ocean transport. Uh, we've seen the lack of shipping containers and all this has really drive, driven a lot of people to air freight. So, you know, even when you have to air freight in an emergency, there's no planes available. And sometimes they were booking up to eight weeks out for uh, air freight out of Asia. So it, it, it's really been crazy. So one of the things that we've been really trying to do is, is looking at uh, supply alternatives and contingencies uh, in our, our key input materials ahead of time uh, to make sure that uh, when it does hit, we've done the, the hard work uh, ahead of time to, to make sure that we're available for it. And it does take a lot of uh, extra effort, but I, I think it's certainly worth the, uh, the, the work. But it really, I think it's just focused, uh, the, we really need to, to rethink uh, where we're at on supply chains and, and really have additional flexibility uh, to shorten these supply lines. And, and COVID's really shown us that these supply chains are, are much more fragile than we had anticipated. And I think the status quo likely needs to be refreshed or reshaped or, or even in some cases reinvented uh, as we go forward to protect on this. Prambada, I want to come to you. What are we seeing from a broader North American company standpoint in their supply chains? Are there any key trends that we should be watching for? Given how complex global supply chains have become, uh, the disruptive events of last year certainly highlighted the dangers of having opaque or highly concentrated sources of supply because they become um, uh, vulnerable in times of stress. And diversification of sources, they consciously reduce dependence on supply from the lowest cost markets to identify alternative sources from a wider range. Now, that was already evident um, over the past few years, not just because of the pandemic, but because of the protectionist policies, right, or the trade tensions amongst trading partners. Now, in parallel, the move towards adopting uh, regional strategies or nearshoring such that a notable proportion of key goods is produced within the region in which they're consumed will also provide um, the opportunity for more control and stability in sourcing. Companies in North America might well be expanding more sourcing locations from Mexico, Central America, for example. Now, beyond that, there's also greater appreciation for supply chain transparency. The multi-tier supply chain that Todd referred to is is exactly um, the challenge that companies face in mapping a transparent supply chain. Understanding a multi-tier supply chain can be challenging because it requires mapping out buyers and suppliers down to the first mile producer. Because only then you can anticipate potential sources of disruption because it's necessary often down to an individual component level. And this is an extensive exercise. So not every supply chain can lend itself easily to such discoveries. So the quantum of that problem shouldn't be underestimated clearly. Recent McKinsey study reported that over 50% of supply chain executives that they surveyed across um, over 20 uh, different industries said that they had no clear visibility beyond their first year suppliers. So the, uh, the, the challenge is, um, is, is worth considering for um, a number of companies um, wanting to create more transparency and more control. Now, in all of these shifting patterns of supply chain management, one key development has been 
how new technologies can change the economics of resilience. The um, automation of processes to reduce input costs is an obvious one, but perhaps even allow workforce productivity to be maintained in the event of closures is, uh, is an example that could be deployed for the future. The studies that have been published on changing business models um, have also shown the shift in mindset from just in time to just in case. That's been oft quoted. Now, moving away from just in time doesn't necessarily equate always to reduction in cost efficiency or ballooning inventory, as was traditionally thought, because digital tools today can provide the ability to monitor, connect, and collaborate across their supply chains, especially providing deeper visibility into multi-tier supply chains. So better supply chain management has certainly risen to the forefront and that's likely to continue for um, companies building for the future. Last year, there was a paper published also by IDC, which um, uh, published the results of a survey that 60% of companies expected their businesses to be disrupted over the next three years by a competitor with better supply chain capabilities. Mm -hmm. Not a new product, not even a new business model, just better supply chain management. So I would say the opportunity is now for building uh, better supply chain uh, management capabilities and trends have intensified for uh, companies to deploy strategies for resilient supply chain and increased visibility, whether it's potential diversification of sourcing of supply or greater adoption of technology. And all of these are trends uh, we're likely to see well beyond 2021. Absolutely. And and I, I think what you said there about if you are not building in this flexibility and if you're not thinking end to end and and really breaking down that experience, every single every single component piece, knowing exactly end to end, having that transparency, a competitor is going to come in and do that. A competitor is going to come in with the exact same product and be able to deliver even in turbulent times, even when there are challenges and disruptions that couldn't be necessarily predicted, but with that greater transparency and flexibility can be managed. Todd, I would like to go to you because the car industry is undergoing a massive transformation uh, by pivoting quickly to electric vehicles in order to become more sustainable. And that is obviously going to have a huge and a massive impact on your supply chain. How are you moving along on the transition to building in more sustainable products? Yeah, so I think we're in a, a much better position than, than many in the auto space. Uh, uh, our portfolio of products is really 90% powertrain agnostic, meaning that we're EV ready today. And uh, we're already selling actively into this marketplace and, and making some good inroads there. So lightweighting has really been uh, the, the core competency of ABC uh, over several decades. And, and as we transition into electric vehicle, it's going to be even more important as uh, customer range anxiety is, is a huge issue in this transition. You know, most people don't think about the 99% of the time that they, they drive 22 kilometers to work and back. If they think about that one time where they, they have to drive 400 miles to their grandparents' house during the holidays and will their electric vehicle make it in the snow. So uh, lower mass really translates into to more range and less need for batteries on the vehicle, which is really more cost effective for the OEMs. And so we really think this is a tremendous tailwind for us. But at the same time, people are going to continue to drive uh, internal combustion engines for a while also. Uh, they're not going away overnight, th th despite some of the reports you might might see uh, on, on, on the media. Um, so we really think that this is a, a market that we've really been um, uh, satisfying for a long period of time. But also there's changes happening here when we, we see a lot of the, uh, the governments around the world are really focused on climate initiatives and that's really gonna drive more stringent fuel economy and emission requirements. 
uh, which will require lower mass uh, to get better fuel economy on these vehicles. And then some of the, the requirements that we're seeing are up to 50% more fuel economy requirements coming at us in very quick time periods. So whether it's EV or uh, internal combustion engines, uh, we're ready for both of them today. But I think there's a, a lesser known opportunity out there as we look at EVs uh, to really reimagine the, 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 uh, the vehicle and the space. There's no engine, there's no transmission, no driveline, no exhaust, no fuel system. I think this gives us a really good opportunity to reimagine the, the environment of the entire vehicle. And you know, one of the areas we're focusing on is the consumer's experience with their vehicle and how to provide more functionality on the interior. Uh, people are using their cars much more for work. They want places for their laptops and their bags and their backpacks and uh, a tray that slides out that's convenient for them. I know all of us balance our laptops on our knee while we're, we're not supposed to be doing that, but we're just trying to reinvent uh, how that's done. But we're also looking at uh, more storage options and, and customer convenience to improve utility. Uh, a lot of OEMs on, on some of their more recent vehicles have introduced the frunk, which is the front trunk where the engine used to go. But uh, it, it's really just a big open space right now that's not very, uh, it doesn't provide a lot of utility. And so we're trying to just reimagine that and spend a lot of time on that. But you're also seeing a transition of uh, now established OEMs coming into the marketplace with a much more robust portfolio of products. And then it's really now focused on crossovers, SUVs, and pickup trucks, where the first entrance were primarily small urban vehicles or, or passenger cars. Well, when that happens, you know that uh, you know, we're, we're heading into this uh, era going forward. And uh, w when they launch these vehicles that have you know, so much spotlight on them and it's so important to the companies, they're really looking at you know, who do I trust and who has, who's a proven partner in the supply base to help me launch these vehicles. And so we've got a lot of longstanding relationships in the, these spaces with major OEMs. So I think that's a really a, a good strong tailwind for us too. But there, there's also an increasing number of new entrants into the, the EV space. And this is opening up a lot of uh, opportunities for new relationships and opportunity for us. And But we really just think that our capabilities are focused on pushing the leading edge of, of innovation on vehicles and uh, whether it's current generation of CUV, SUV, and pickup trucks, or the transition that we're making right now into the EV space, uh, we're positioned right now uh, very well. So we're extremely excited about this uh, this transition right now. Todd, what are you seeing in terms of employee supplier consumer demand for producing environmentally responsible car parts? Are there any barriers or challenges to this, either internally at ABC or with your external partners, addressing these changing sustainability needs? Yeah, I certainly think that the ESG expectations from all of our constituents are increasing and it doesn't matter whether it's our customers, our shareholders, potential investors, or our employees. Uh, and we really view this as an overall positive to the business. Uh, as we look at some of the things that we're doing right now in this area, I'll just start with materials. And we're working with uh, uh, eco-friendly biopolymers uh, that uh, incorporate wood pulp from sustainable foresting practices uh, into the product that actually uh, utilize less energy to transform them into the products. Uh, we're looking at recycled materials like carbon fiber, as well as uh, additive and 3D manufacturing opportunities. Uh, on the process side, we're doing an awful lot to reduce our environmental footprint on, on how we can drive new processes into our, our operations. And we've got uh, three that we're involved with right now that are, we're pushing in that, that reduce our energy consumption by up to 20% while we're making uh, the lightweight parts that I talked about earlier. And as I look at uh, employees on the, the ESG side also, that's always been a real focus for us and the number one consideration of what we do in this business. And uh, we've got the industry leading levels of, of workplace safety and it's something that's very important to us and we will continue to drive uh, going forward. So 
overall, I don't see this as, as a barrier uh, uh, moving forward with it with ESG and, and the sustainability. And you know, like a lot of companies out there, we're moving as fast as we can to, to drive the business to be more sustainable. Uh, we're just about ready to publish our third annual white paper on ESG to talk about some of the things that we're focused on, uh, track what we've been doing uh, that we said we were going to do, and, and just really track our progress overall. So we really believe that uh, ABC is well positioned for this now and in the future uh, to be a leader in this area, and we think it's a net positive for us overall. You've had a big year. <laughs> this has been an incredible year of change for ABC. With the company publicly tra trading since February, what are you looking forward to the most in the year ahead, Todd? Our teams are really looking forward to a, a more unconstrained uh, marketplace uh, that, that isn't held back by materials. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's really, we've been trying to drive improvements, but it's been like uh, being a, a stock car driver uh, in a NASCAR race over the last couple of years is that uh, we have yellow flags every other lap. And it's hard to keep up with the momentum here. And it's not a lot of fun to watch or participate in either. But if we really think that on the positive side, that the consumer demand in the marketplace right now is exceptionally strong. I, I think last month, SAR uh, for sales was about 18.5 million on an annualized basis. But at the same time, dealer inventories are at all-time lows at 23 days. And in some cases, uh, you know, pickup trucks are down in the single digits where typically they, they want to be up in the 80, 90 range. And overall vehicles want to be at uh, 50 to, or 60 to, to 70. So we know that the OEMs are just going to go to full max out production as soon as they have full unconstrained material capabilities. And that just really bodes well for ABC as well as the whole industry to, to really drive forward in, in multiple quarters ahead of us. Uh, to make up this uh, this demand shortage that's out there. So we're looking forward to that for sure. Uh, we've had an exceptionally strong year from an organic growth standpoint. Uh, we think that there's uh, tremendous opportunities in front of us to do uh, some uh, acquisitive growth in the marketplace. Our industry is pretty fragmented and, and we have the ability to, uh, to look at consolidation. And I think these are all really solid opportunities for us to grow, better serve our OEMs and also uh, our shareholders. And going back to you, uh, Primavada, what are you looking forward to the most across the Americas in 2021 and beyond? A couple of trends, uh, notable trends, and I, I think uh, Todd has mentioned one key one that we're definitely, as, as a bank, keenly supporting, which is around sustainability. So uh, certainly the challenges around addressing climate change with our solutions. So as I spoke about refining procurement strategy uh, previously, uh, that companies are looking to do this uh, better supply chain management and effectively leveraging uh, technology for better transparency and visibility also goes to the heart of actually to be able to be more sustainable. Now, the pressure to be sustainable is on companies, whether it's um, because it's not just because of activist strategies to pressure corporate boardrooms, but it's uh, in general a realization for companies, governments, or even cities that this is the need of the hour. And perhaps whether it's coming off of the pandemic, uh, this chance to rebuild and reshape the global economy and environment that companies are operating in after the pandemic, it's making investors and companies and governments look far more closely at the longer term impact of the dollars that they're spending today. Because there is a realization of the deep impact uh, that rapid climate change could be very, very expensive in the future unless something is done about it now. So greater supply chain transparency, we believe will actually naturally complement greater control over driving sustainability in supply chains and looking at more efficient sourcing and circularity and um, end use of product. 
uh, acceleration of towards sustainability is also recognition by companies as um, Todd has already mentioned that this is it's beyond just enhancing company reputation and uh, shareholder value it's also making economic sense to do so the call to banking and financial services is how do we support our clients with with solutions around sustainability we're frequently engaged by clients to provide um, such uh, solutions around working capital and we've been able to structure working capital programs that directly influence greater sustainability by using financial incentives we've supported chain supply chain in with greater digitization activities and the adv advent of uh, technology that i spoke about earlier which is the other key trend that's going to transform supply chains that all of the partners in in supply chains will need to adopt more uh, technological tools we believe as digitization of the trade supply chain accelerates platforms and providers that service trade will have to keep pace which is logistics insurance and financial services so if new technologies allow interoperability of these platforms that connectivity has the ability to release unparalleled big data that opportunity the ability to leverage that data and build better solutions will ultimately determine whether we survive or and succeed in the future we are committed to finding solutions leveraging technology to support our clients um whether it's for uh, greater supply chain resiliency or certainly uh, sourcing sustainability and that really is the future it aligns with our clients long term goals so we believe in also from a uh, corporate transition from total shareholder value to total societal value So I think at this point um we seem to be poised at a very pivotal moment in history where the future is being defined by technological advances for changing uh, business models of companies and uh, sustainable businesses and sustainable supply chains uh, will be the future that's something to look forward to it's a huge thing to look forward to especially what you talked about moving from shareholder value to societal value. I think that's a great place to end off at, but I wanted to thank you both Todd and Priyavada for joining us today. We will have another conversation again. Um and until next time, thank you so much for all being here. Have a wonderful rest of your day everyone. Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. To learn more about anything you heard today, please visit business.hsbc.com. 